G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. An opportunity today to honour one of Australia's best-known Christian leaders who's getting ready to retire at the start of next year. The Reverend Keith Garner has been at the helm serving as CEO of Wesley Mission for the past 15 years. You might have a Wesley Mission Centre in a community near you. He's been leading 2,500 staff and 5,000 volunteers in 130 centres around Australia with an amazing ministry reach touching the lives of somewhere in the vicinity 200,000 people in just this past year alone. You might agree that there's something special about the leadership of an organisation like Wesley Mission, since it's consistently ranked as one of the most reputable charities in Australia. And to mark his retirement, the Reverend Keith Garner has just released his latest book, Passing on Wisdom from a 40-Year Ministry Career, entitled Faith, Compassion and the Challenge of Leadership. You might also know the Reverend Keith Garner as the presenter of the weekly Wesley Impact TV program as he regularly speaks uh, and also about uh, issues around welfare in the media regularly. Uh, Keith Garner, a special welcome along to 2020. Neil, what an introduction that was. I, I, I hardly know it's me. Um, it's, it's a delight to talk to you and to, to share with, with your people that regularly follow your good program. Well, Keith, you're going to have big shoes to fill, and we'll talk about your successor a little later on. But let's start talking about some of the key things that you can remember from your own history that began to shape your character over these many years. And uh, I know there's a number of uh, big issues, big events that you've been able to be a part of, really, that go down in the history of the world. Uh, I wonder whether you can recount some of those uh, issues and those times. I know you were in Belfast in Northern Ireland at the height of their troubles. What if we start with uh, with your visit to Belfast? Yeah, look, the visit to Belfast has a, a preamble to it because it was through the witness of um, a couple of lads from Northern Ireland that I found Christ. And that really is very, very important. And I've always had a special place for Ireland in, in my heart. And I, I, I wrote to a friend of mine I had in Belfast, uh, Reverend Sidney Callahan, and said to him, do you think I could come across and have a look at the work in Belfast? And uh, I went across. I went the first of many, many visits to Ireland. Um, but I went there, and it was really at the height of the challenges when the Catholic and Protestant communities were very separated, um, walls between them, uh, divisions that were there. But I met some marvellous people there um, at a time when it was very, very tense, to say the least. And tensions, this is one of the things, when you see how tensions develop and then how tensions are resolved, this actually translates over into how you might lead in any circumstance, whether it's uh, big issues that might be national issues for another nation, like uh, Northern Ireland there and uh, the troubles of Belfast. 
But those sorts of things that you learn when you're observing these things, they translate into the way your own leadership develops. Look, by observing, watching, listening and seeing how it happens. I went to Ireland just about uh, a year and a half ago for the last time. And uh, things are so much different there. For example, we, my wife and I stayed in the middle of Belfast. Uh, it's a place, a hotel nearby had been bombed endlessly during the Troubles. Now it's a wonderfully classy place to walk around, you know, and you think, gosh, this is an achievement uh, that, that didn't just happen. It happened because people of goodwill and people of skillful character and many, many Christians have helped to make uh, Northern Ireland a different place. You also met lots of Christian leaders on a visit to South Africa at a time when there was really absolutely incredible change that was happening in South Africa. Uh, you were there around the time of the speech of F.W. de Klerk and uh, what they called the quantum leap. Uh, give us your insights around that time in South Africa. Well, I'll never forget that, really. I spent a, a good number of weeks at that time preaching at different places and staying in the central mission, our Methodist central mission in the middle of the city near the small street arcade in Johannesburg. And I stayed at the top of that mission and listened on the radio to the speech being made in Parliament. Uh, where he, he F.W. de Klerk, uh, President F.W. de Klerk, made a number of um, very important statements. He talked about the unbanning of the ANC. He talked about the Group Areas Act ending and so many of the things that had marked out uh, an apartheid community. And then he made that an amazing, and Nelson Mandela will be released. And he'd been 27 years in prison. Uh, and so I, it was quite something. So there were two things about that. One was I came out of the mission uh, that lunchtime. It was a lunchtime. I think the speech was on. And I came down outside and the streets were packed with people with excitement, to say the least. And then on the Sunday, I preached in Soweto at Orlando West Methodist Church, which was some of the, some of the Mandela family attended worship and some were there on that morning. Um, and it was such a you know, milestone in the story of South Africa. And I know a lot of people perhaps say, you know, well, things are not all that they should be. Well, look, it's a long journey that these people have been on, you know, but the steps that were taken, and again, Christian people, and I keep stressing this, Christian people that were so much a part of, of making it possible for things to be different. And if I, if I can, I would say that I went to um, a breakfast the week after uh, this, uh, a prayer breakfast that was being held in the central mission there and I remember sitting talking with Jesse Jackson who'd flown in from America who'd been very much part of the racial um, tensions that had occurred in, in North America and listening to him and talking with some of these people and if I found it so well, I hope, hopeful for me that Christian leaders could make a difference a profound difference well, there's lots of tensions all around the world racially and uh, being there in a moment which has historic significance and recognising, yes, that there are challenges that continue uh, even to today and uh, who knows what they would have been if there had not been a quantum leap speech uh, from F.W. de Klerk. And, of course, we'll all remember that as 
the significant speech that led to the release of Nelson Mandela. And uh, there are all sorts of things around the world, all sorts of problems that still need to be resolved and all sorts of wisdom that comes from being there in those historic moments. But, Keith, this has led you all over the world. Uh, You're developing leadership and your leadership style. You've preached in small congregations and you've preached in huge gatherings in nations like India. Uh, Give us your insights into... uh, into your Indian experience? Well, um, I, I, I'm, I'm not laughing, but I, I do smile about this whole thing, really. Um, it, it, the reason I ended up going to India, I, it's a long story, really, but I'll make it very short. And it was that the Pope was going to Israel. Um, what happened was that the Pope had decided to go to Israel and the Bishop of, of Jerusalem was down to preach in India. And the Billy Graham Association uh, contacted me and said that they wanted me to replace um, the, the, the bishop who was actually going to stay in Israel to meet the Pope. And uh, would I go? And uh, my wife and family were at home and they were smiling because my dietary um, approaches to life are very narrow, I have to say. And so I knew I was going on my own to this place. How would I survive? And it was in Shillong, which is in Assam. You go out of India, uh, across um, Bangladesh, back into India. It's a very, very unique uh, tribal part of India, if you like. And uh, I was invited to be the the main preacher. I did a week's preaching for ministers. Um, What we would call a large crowd, about 10,000 a night at those events. But the main event was a huge gathering with two and a half lakhs, which is 250,000 people. And I just, I couldn't believe it really, you know, um, that I was speaking. And I, the faith of these Indian people, it's a part of India where the Christian influence is, is remarkably strong. There are two or three places in India where the Christian church has made. But people came on trucks and uh, lorries and on the back of, of bikes. And they were coming from all over. Um, there were only two white people there, myself and a, a, another guy from the Welsh Presbyterian Church. The rest of the, the people were all Indian people, native born and bred, very much part of that community. And it was so thrilling, an enormous privilege, if you like, to be able to share the good news with these people. Hey, we're going to be touching on issues around developing leadership, and I can't help but needing to just draw attention here because when you talk about your own dietary issues and the feeling that sometimes uh, our own uh, uh, inadequacies or lacks or special needs would hold us back uh, from doing what we might feel called to do, I wonder whether you've got any thoughts here for listeners who are thinking, you know, I'd go and do some exciting big things like Keith Garner, but, you know, I've got these dietary issues or I've got this health complaint. Uh, what are your thoughts for people who might be thinking along the lines of what is holding them back? Yeah, look, I think all of us have uh, hesitations when we feel that we're, we want to do something or God is calling us to do something. I, have to, I think we have to bite the bullet and we have to say, yes, I'll do it, I'll go. But we also have to put our hands very much in the hands of God and, and, and seek his guidance, his will, his purpose for our lives. And we find that we can overcome things through grace. We can do things that we thought were unthinkable. When I look back, when I first began preaching, 
it was an enormous challenge. It's, it's still for me, it's, it's the greatest privilege I ever have is to be able to stand in a pulpit and preach. Though today you don't have many pulpits, but to actually stand and, and declare the good news of Jesus. But I found it very, very nerve wracking, you know, um, to very small groups of people. So I understand the hesitation that there might be. So whatever the hesitation is, large or small, you can overcome those fears that you might have by putting your life into the hands of God and stepping out um, into the challenge and being prepared to do whatever it is. I mean, even the coming to Australia for me was an enormous challenge, really. Um, I, I know when I came out here for the first time, before I ever came to do the job I'm doing now, I went back to England. People said, what was it like in Australia? I said, oh, it was okay, but I couldn't live there. <laughs> and people, people reminded me of that many, many, many times and have done ever since, you know, um, because your first reaction isn't necessarily going to be the last one. That's right. Hey, you're a global traveller and all of these early experiences, they shape the way you become as a person. They shape your leadership. I wonder whether you've got any thoughts the way these sorts of experience, when you go to places where people are not well cared for, where there are health issues, where there are economic challenges every day, not just uh, every 10 years when we have our own uh, economic crises here in Australia, but it's an economic crisis every day for people. I wonder whether you've got some thoughts around these experiences that you have in your travels that shape your compassion for a vulnerable people in a society. Any thoughts here? Oh, look, I think vulnerability and people who live on the margins has been my oh, deep abiding passion all along. And to combine that with a real Christian vision is, is I think, so important. I think one of the things that's happened, um, Neil, if I might say over the last uh, maybe 20, 30 years, there's been a greater sense of Christians wanting to get engaged in these areas of poverty and hurt. I think that's a marvellous thing to have happened. Um, but you're quite right. There are many people that, that live. I mean, when I think of walking some of the streets of India, um, it was hard to really come to terms with the reality of where where things were. I remember visiting Mother Teresa's um, centre in Calcutta and staying overnight. And I was all I was on my own, so there was nobody with me. But the Bible Society of India had agreed to pick me up at the airport. I, I, I arrived there, and, and actually, Bill Clinton was coming to speak at their parliament. And so I was expecting somebody to be there at the other side of the gate when I got off the plane. But in fact, there was nobody at the other side of the gate because they banned everybody from the airport. So I came out, and uh, thousands of people were all there. But I found for the first time in my life, I've always wanted this, my name was on a board. <laughs> There's a man waiting for me. So I went off, stayed at the hotel at the night, but saw some of the work that people like Mother Teresa and, and her nuns and Christians of different persuasions that were doing things for poor folks, which was to me a great sermon in action. Sponsor Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson, a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Our special guest this hour is the Reverend Keith Garner. He's CEO of Wesley Mission. He's about to retire at the end of the year and he's just released his latest book, Passing on Wisdom from a 40-year ministry career entitled Faith, Compassion and the Challenge of Leadership. We'll talk about that book shortly, but Keith, I wanted to touch on something here. Having heard 
some of your stories of the things that shaped you in your own life, your own ministry and your own leadership. But while we're talking about all sorts of things that you've been experiencing and that you've uh, had this exposure to overseas, places like uh, with Mother Teresa in Calcutta or uh, issues throughout India and, uh, of course, uh, the other things that we've spoken about. But we have our own issues of poverty and hurt and homelessness here in Australia. And so bring these home for us because this is where your work has been here in Australia. What are your thoughts on our own issues of poverty and hurt here? Well, I think the first thing I'd say, as I was slightly shocked when I arrived here, at some of the issues that were very real for us. I'm now a signed up Aussie, so I'm not talking as somebody as an expert from somewhere else, but part of our own community. I'm thinking of the levels of suicide. I'm, I'm thinking of the levels of homelessness. They were much higher than I ever imagined that they would be. And uh, the commitment that we need to be involved in to sort these things out it has to be joint and together. I mean, homelessness is much, much more than just what people perceive it to be. Uh, when you say, what is a homeless person? People often think about the man with a bottle in the park. Um, alcohol is a problem, of course, and people do live outside in parks. But it could be people living uh, in the back of a car. It could be somebody couch surfing. But we have a huge number of people, 115,000 plus people in Australia. Uh, when you think of those numbers, you think of uh, our great stadiums, the MCG+. Plus. Yeah, full of homeless people. That's the reality. In a population of only 25, 26 million, it's very, very high, and it's an issue. So we have to find ways of tackling it, and I've just taken the view that there has to be a joined-up way of doing that. Keith, give us some real-time update here, and you're based in Sydney, but you've got uh, these feelers out across 130 centres around Australia. Coronavirus, the economic crisis that accompanies that, the issue of homelessness. How might we see these things developing uh, with coronavirus and the extra stresses that are on families and individuals today? Look, if, if we address that one particularly, I would want to say something that's a bit tough. I think next year is going to be perhaps worse than this year. Uh, what I mean by that is we may well thankfully get to the stage where we're able to go to the footy, we're able to do the things we've always wanted to do. But I think that the issues of, of business, uh, the struggles that people have got, and I've got great sympathy for people with small businesses in particular who've been badly hit by, by this crisis. Um, I think that when we get to next year, some of them are going to find it very hard to get back. I do, I, I applaud the attempts of governments, not just one government, governments to try to um, provide resources. And that, that certainly happened to help people. But even when they've done that, there is still the issue of people having not enough means. Uh, families are struggling. Um, very often, people depend now on two incomes, not one income, to be able to survive. Um, to buy even modest houses is a challenge in Australia. Um, and I think that in those particular situations, the real needs of people are going to be exposed as time moves on. When we're talking homelessness, just to mention that you were the founder of the End Street Sleeping Collaboration, and that's not just now only in Australia, that's even gone internationally. And uh, a collaboration like that, I imagine, brings together uh, interested parties to be able to tackle issues of homelessness. Is this something that we ought to be aware of in our own communities here in Australia? 
Yeah, look, I, I didn't found it, but I'm one of the founding directors here in Australia. Um, and it is in, in, in something like 10 to 11 countries of the world now, working in cities and in Sydney and throughout New South Wales. Certainly, uh, we've seen this growth. And we... I, I think I said earlier about people's perception of homelessness. Well, street sleeping is not just a perception. It is a reality. And uh, this collaboration is, is, is explicitly directed to address that issue, which we're doing at this point in time, with a target of halving it by 2025. Um, so there's a real, real issues there in terms of where people find themselves. Um, I also think, you know, where I come from, you can tell I come from the frozen north of England, really. And where I come from there, street sleeping is not quite the same. Much of the homeless takes on a different form. But here in Australia, it's a real issue and one that we've got to address. And collaboration is a key word in that title of that, those that are working together on this, that we collaborate together to make it work, to actually um, do something about it. We certainly want to do that for, for many these people who find themselves isolated. And I think when we think of the future um, in homelessness, in homelessness, one of the great issues is that people feel isolated and cut off from other people. Um, and that's certainly one of the things that's flowing through from the coronavirus impact upon Australia, people's isolation. Now, there is connection between homelessness and when people find themselves destitute and the issue of suicide. We mentioned it. Let's come back to suicide. And you've had all sorts of programs over the years hoping to tackle youth suicide. And some people will say, but aren't there lots of organisations doing that? And just to draw attention here to Wesley Mission, because you're a Christian organisation, a Christian charity, and there's a connection in there between Christian hope and what there might be as a resolution to problems of homelessness and things that lead on to suicide. I wonder whether you've got any thoughts around the value of our Christian hope when it comes to how we might meet people in the place that they find themselves in and thinking through this issue of suicide and so that there might be some level of persuasion that says there is some hope for you too. Well, there's two things I'd say. First of all, you, as you possibly know, Lifeline began at Wesley Mission um, when one of my predecessors, Alan Walker, was the head of Wesley Mission. He was a great evangelist in his own, in his own right. Um, Alan certainly uh, sought to address that issue when he got a, a phone call from Roy one night who rang him at home, the home that we lived in for 15 years. And uh, on that telephone call, he said, I want to see you. But in fact, the news came back that he'd taken his own life in King's Cross. So Wesley Mission became committed to this. We now have Wesley Life Force, which is spread across Australia, including parts of Queensland and, and, and all the different states. And Wesley Life Force seeks to address that issue. I think things are, if I say I think things are getting better, it's only in this sense. I think we're talking about it more. There was a time when I did radio interviews and I met journalists and, and it was as if uh, they were wary. I once had an ABC reporter say to me, after we'd gone off, off air, said, should we really be talking about this? And I said, yes. I think almost with the feeling if we talk about it, somebody will catch it and they'll take their own life. There's no evidence to say that that happens. 
in fact, talking about it has got to be one of the positive ways forward. So our life force networks go into communities, seek to work with people uh, that are involved. They may be heads of education, doctors, nurses, police, community leaders, and bring them together to help provide the network of people caring. And for me, it's, as a Christian leader, um, it's critical to me because life really matters. I, I think it's the most precious gift a life and therefore if we can be involved in that uh, place helping people who feel that their life is not valued anymore who want to bring their own life to an end um, I think that's something we should really be involved in at the, at the cutting edge if you like Keith, is there a connection today between Lifeline and the Wesley Life Force? Is there, you know, when you get word someone's called and uh, it's a desperate situation, they're pouring out their heart uh, to that person who's on the other end at Lifeline. Uh, Is there a way that you are connecting people to those sorts of callers? Does that happen today or is is it a bigger process than I'm perhaps suggesting? Uh, well, I think I think that um, there is an element of that, but the issue has become so much bigger than that. I think um, you mentioned the many different uh, charities that there are beyond Blue, and and, and you know we could give a list of people. Uh, the OK, are you are you OK uh, days, and all these are I think pressing the same issues. Um, but Wesley Mission, we still like to think there is that Christian element to what we do and the reason why we do it. Um, that doesn't mean to say we're better than anybody else. I'd never say that. But it does mean that uh, the distinctiveness of our work, and this takes us to the broader point that you, you, you will be well aware of, is and that is Wesley Mission's remain Christian in the welfare space, which, went, which not all organisations have done. Is there a challenge there for the future, perhaps even a challenge for your successor as you step out of that role early next year? The challenge that there is in Christian charities today, particularly when there is government funding, to maintain that Christian ethos through all that you do, that is something I imagine that is growing and getting tougher than ever. I think that that, that I want to say yes and no. I I think obviously it's a challenge um, and we've got to be very careful. Uh, We've got to make sure that we're not proselytizing when we do a certain thing. We don't give somebody something and say, you have this because you must believe and and you must follow our way. We don't do that. Um, We do things because people have needs. But I would say this, that I've sat in Prime Minister's office and Premier's office um, and I've never found being a Christian leader is a problem. What I have found is that making the connection is sometimes challenging, but the fact that the Christian faith inspires us and inspires me has always been uh, one of the things we lead with. It's very, very important that people know that's why we do what we do, that's why we engage in the way that we do with people. And I think it's true that it's going to become increasingly uh, challenging. There are many organizations that began in churches and in Christian agencies, and many that I could name but won't, and say this used to be a Christian organization. And then there are those organizations that, that say something like this, Neil, we're inspired by the Christian faith. 
Now, I, I, I think you've got to be careful that you don't end up just saying we're inspired by it. We're not just inspired by it. What we do is part and parcel of the way in which we demonstrate the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So I, I think we've held to that core. I don't anticipate for a minute Wesley Mission moving from that center. It's part of, part of our distinctiveness, I think, in the Australian landscape of charities. And I think uh, there are things that we do, but we would want to make it very clear. We don't look at people and only do things for Christian people, nor do we seek to, every time we do something with somebody, try to preach directly at them. But what we do do is say, we do this because of Jesus Christ. He's our inspiration. He's the reason why we do it, whether it's in Belfast, South Africa, or any other part of the world, or here in Australia. Uh, Keith, I think before we go any further, let's take a call or two from listeners. Uh, let's first of all hear from Brian, who is in Geraldton in WA. Hi, Brian. Welcome. Well, many thanks for the time. I just uh, appreciate what the Wesley people have done, and uh, we're just so excited that... Uh, we believe what they're doing is something that we're doing as well. And um, we know that the ministry into remote Indigenous communities is very important for the top end of Australia. And uh, we've been blessed uh, for next year in that uh, we may be partnering with somebody else, another ministry to go through Alice Springs, uh, Northern Territory area. And then we want to go back through Kimberley in... Uh, that'll be Nopal. We want to go back through Kimberley in May to uh, follow up what we did with the mission in 2019. We're going to upgrade the uh, receivers from the... And, uh, Brian, you're with the Chariots of Fire Ministries, and we've spoken a number of times. And uh, so I'll just bring Keith in here. Keith, uh, ministry into Indigenous communities. Uh, What Just just a little uh, burst here, because we won't uh, won't dwell a lot more, because I want to get on to your book, but uh, Brian's called in. What are your thoughts for what he's sharing? Well, I think in terms of the big issue that we talked about a few minutes ago, which is suicide, is one of the issues that we have found that the indigenous community are very ready to talk about and, and very ready in their local community using their own leaders and elders, their, their, their own people to be able to. The only people that can really make a difference in this beautiful country of ours uh, amongst Aboriginal and Indigenous people is the partnership of the Aboriginal and Indigenous people with those of us that can provide help. Uh, Brian, you're doing good work too, and we'll catch up on another day. But thank you so much for your call today. one 316 to join in our conversation. Let's take another call. Tony is in Frankston in Melbourne. Hi, Tony. Welcome. How are you? Good, Tony. What are your thoughts? My thoughts is um, a bit similar to the last man's thoughts. Like Aboriginals talking to Aboriginals about their problems and what they can do to improve their life. I think is most the one of the most important things. Unfortunately, really, unfortunately, that Aboriginals and the way white men's gone over the years since Captain Cook and before that they abused the rights of Aboriginals and they didn't respect their wishes. And, they, and unfortunately, I believe in these days there's still some of that about, and it's all negative. And what the Aboriginals need is positive feedback from people their own, and most like most most of all white people and people with a different um, nationality to them. And it would be good if, um, say, different people of the nationality would actually talk to the Aboriginals, especially black people, 
you know, African Indians, Indians. Tony, you're raising some good points there insofar as what needs to happen in a reconciliation process. And there is a special role for Christians in charities and ministries that are on this uh, welfare helping end of the spectrum here. Keith Garner, someone like Tony here, your thoughts for him on on a special role that, that there is for Christian leadership when it comes to uh, areas that develop this uh, whole uh, system of reconciliation? We need not only just, just be handing out charity, but affirming and developing new leaders. And the leaders must come from those communities that we're seeking to help. And I, I, wherever this happens, and, and we see some witness of this, wherever this happens, real things can change. Tony, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line remains open, 1-800-316-316. Keith, let's talk about your new book, Faith, Compassion and the Challenge of Leadership. You're telling your story of 15 years as CEO and Superintendent of Wesley Mission, a record and a legacy for future leaders in this sector, and uh, you have taken the opportunity to share your thoughts, and I imagine uh, thoughts on the good, the bad and the ugly of what it takes to lead well i think so i i I didn't really want to make it all it's all just plain sailing because it's not um but i was wanting to try to encourage people that that it is possible to actually lead an organization in a christian way and it's possible to lead a christian organization in a way that's consistent with the best leadership skills that there are Uh, This is an interesting point uh, because sometimes we think of uh, people who come to the Christian sector with skills they've learned in a secular work environment and uh, bringing those skills into the Christian sector. But I suspect uh, that you're going to be talking about the sorts of things that happen the opposite direction, that what you learn as a Christian, what you grow and aspire to as a leader, applying Christian principles into your own heart and life and those things that shape our character ought to be the things that shape business beyond the Christian ministry sector and right into the whole uh, workplaces uh, around the nation. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, look, I think that we, we don't call ourselves not-for-profit. I prefer to use the term for-purpose because the reason I don't like not-for-profit is it sort of suggests... It suggests we, 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 we're going to be for loss. <laughs> well, we obviously can't do that. Uh, but for purpose, organizations like ourselves have to emulate the very best skills that are demonstrated. And we do have organizations that are not specifically Christian organizations turn to us and, and ask us, can we give them help in areas and can we point in the right direction? And I see no difficulty in that. And I'm very, very, uh, I like to think generous with time when those, those approaches are made to us because because they're very, very important, and partnerships are there. But Christian leadership um, is not poor leadership, and I'm really wanting to stress that. It isn't necessarily just something that kind of people do for less money on the corner over here. It's skillful leadership. It's Christ-centered leadership, and it's certainly leadership for where compassion is at the heart of everything we do. You know, as we reflect on what's happened in your tenure as CEO at Wesley Mission, uh, let me just reflect uh, a thought or two here, because when you took over, there was an $11 million deficit going back to 2006, 2007. 
And that's been turned around over that 15 years. And this year, a $4.8 million surplus. And you've increased Wesley Mission's uh, amount of support, increased by more than 60%. So you've done something right in there. So when we talk about turning around a, an organisation, reading an, uh, leading an organisation successfully, how do you describe calling on those faith foundations that get you through to bring about that sort of change? Oh, look, um, that's, that's a very generous description of what's actually happened. Uh, of course, I would have to say that's happened with a very committed staff. Uh, and I'd begin by always answering the question, by how do you do it? The power of appointment I mentioned about in the book is critical. Getting the right people or what Jim Collins would say, the right people on the bus the right people to be able to um, provide that kind of leadership. Um, and, of course, generosity matters in terms of giving. We do have a, a fundraising department that enables people to uh, support us, and people can find that on our website if they want to. But the truth is that we have to make things work. Uh, we can't set out to lose money. And uh, there are sometimes Christians who find that hard, but we have to do it properly because just as you can as a radio station, you'll be having your appeal to, to raise money, but you can't set out to lose money. You've got to make it work, but you don't have to make it work in a cruel way, in a way that's harsh, in a way that uh, rejects all the, the other issues that are part of it. It's only part of the story, that is, the financial stability. Uh, my view is that it's, it's a major part, but it can be achieved with the right people and we have a number of people who've been in business for years who have chosen to come and work with us because they want to work with an agency which which does good in a particular way and when you've got a lot of people as you have in wesley mission you've got to be astute at handling conflict and you've got to be across issues where there's an art of compromise, not in a bad sense, uh, that compromise that we can talk about in finding a way forward and getting people released in their area of gifting. What are your thoughts here for the way that our Christianity shapes us to be able to handle conflict in ways that perhaps others do not? Look, I'd like to say we never have any comfort, there's never any problems, you know, but this is, uh, we're talking real organizations and organizations have to deal with realities. Um, but I think there are, there are some ways in which we can approach this subject uh, helpfully. First of all, I think there is creative conflict. There's conflict that can be positive in the end by, by facing it, addressing it, uh, finding the touchstones of the conversation and the debate to try to move people forward. And I think that uh, the reality of conflict, conflict sometimes exposes things that we need to know about. Um, but I've always found there is a way, there is a way, there is a way. And I have to keep saying that, you know, we're in a situation that we can find ways forward with the right people in leadership, with the willingness to address situations and discovering what the priorities really are. Uh, you know, it was my mum who told me a long, long time ago, if you don't like it, put it to the side of the plate. And there are some things that we don't have to get involved and engaged in. But if we're prepared to face the things that really matter, we can have not only a good meal, as it were, using that analogy, but we can have real growth. Keith, we like to think that there are good times and things go smoothly, but there are rough times. And you've led Wesley Mission through some pretty rough patches. In fact, not long after you took over the helm, the global financial crisis of 2008 hit. 
Uh, times like that, they put you under pressure and uh, you could wait and hide under a rock until things pass by, but uh, clearly in the time you couldn't do that. When you're the boss, there's nowhere else to go. The buck stops here. You've got to press in, press forward and continue to, to make things grow. How do you reflect on facing those sorts of crises? And of course, today we've got a crisis too, coronavirus and the economic and health crises that's come upon us. But But how do you reflect on going through crisis as a leader? Well, there are some individual things that matter. I can remember when uh, we were informed by the Commonwealth Government that our job network uh, funding would be cut. We lost $42 million then. And uh, I remember that day. I sat in my office for two or three minutes on my own after I'd received this phone call and just wondered where I was going to go. The first thing you do as a Christian leader is you pray. You say, oh, gosh, I hope I can react properly in this situation and not let myself down or my people or the vision we have. The second uh, thing I did is that whatever crisis we fail, we're not going to lose our Christian values in the middle of this crisis. I brought my senior team together with me. Uh, we talked about it together. There was a number of tears that were shed when, when we, because we, we knew it was going to involve losing jobs and having to make people redundant. But what I decided to do was this. The way we would describe and demonstrate our Christian faith was the way we did it. Not just that we did it, but the way we did it. And so we decided to treat our people fairly and well. And some organizations, when they received that bad news, chose not to talk about it at first to their people. We told them as soon as we could. We gave them the encouragement they could, time off to go for looking for jobs, helping them with resumes and all of that. But that was a way of... Of, of, of addressing a bigger issue for me, not just that one issue I mentioned, any issue. You don't have to lose your Christian commitment, engagement and faith when you hit a crisis. In fact, you could say it's an opportunity to demonstrate it. So when the bad news comes, when the crisis is looming, you take that time to pray. And uh, for a lot of people, they'd be thinking, uh, we're just talking about something that may be superfluous here. But this is not superfluous for the Christian who's at the helm of a business or a ministry like you're talking about. Uh, Praying actually brings God into your crisis. How do you think that works when you then uh, are beginning to uh, to make some strategies and plans to be able to address what the crisis is bringing to you? Generally speaking, when I'm offering prayers in that context, it's not with the expectation that God is going to change about the, the, the decisions like the little boy doing the geography test and saying, oh, please, can Madrid be the capital of, of, of France? You know, he's just done his exam and he realized he put the wrong answer in. It's not going to change. So I have to live in that situation. However, what can change is the way I approach what's happening. I say, Lord, take hold of the decisions I take. Take hold of the attitudes that we're part of and help us live in accordance with your will through this situation. And, and I think you've got to do that and got to be prepared to do that. Um, you've got to give the, yourself the, the, the Christian dimension to the leadership you're exercising. Keith, there are soaring numbers of vulnerable Australians who need help. And uh, in this day, our coronavirus crisis that we're facing, uh, the idea of being compassionate as a business leader in this context, I wonder if you've got some thoughts on the idea that everyone 
in business, whether it's mainstream business or Christian ministry, is called to be compassionate. And you call on those deep founded Christian values to bring compassion to your staff in all of this. So any thoughts here and in the way that Christian business has the potential to lead the way here for people who are looking for guidance in mainstream business? Look, I think I would want to say I think that there are a number of businesses that I've met in Australia and in Britain who do demonstrate compassion, who are not just uh, Christian organizations. There are some qualities that, that, that do emerge. But I think that compassion is a winner, not only in terms that it helps people in need, but it creates a different culture. And the culture of an organization is cr- crucial to the success an organization. So I see compassion as being a, a, an overriding quality of what we have. It's people in need, putting them first, finding a way in which we can respond to specific uh, needs that people have in the community. Compassion to me has always been so, so very, very important. It's a cultural marker, it seems to me, of a Christian agency. When I introduced you, I said you had been serving as the CEO at Wesley Mission for 15 years. I wonder if we've got any thoughts here around the idea of being the leader and being a servant, because how you treat people when the crisis comes, uh, some people will say, uh, oh, well, you're the boss, you're entitled uh, to this, that or the other, and somebody's losing at the lower ends. What are your thoughts here for what happens in the leadership of the leader who puts themselves, as Jesus said to his apostles in the role of servant any thoughts around servanthood and servant leadership here yeah i i I mean yes but i'm kind of uh, hesitant and reluctant because i don't see myself as being um the key servant as it were you know some of the great people that demonstrated servanthood in my own organization have been those who are working on the front line face to face with people who have nowhere to sleep tonight, people whose needs are in terms of mental health, that's an area we haven't talked about, but I think it's one of the major issues in throughout the whole of Australian life. And some of these people are marvellous people. But the servant model of Jesus, if we say, I follow Jesus Christ, I can't help but thinking it is his servant character that has to be the most defining characteristic of what we follow. Let's talk about the qualities of leaders here. And I know that one of the things that you like to draw attention to in the life of the leader is the ability to ask the right questions. And I imagine you have to understand the context of where you are leading your organisation. But let's talk about the qualities of leaders here. Asking the right questions, because you have to be across a lot of details to be able to understand the context so that you can, in fact, ask the right questions. Yeah, asking the right questions comes in different settings. You've got to understand the cultural context in which you're involved in. And that was one of the advantages of coming from a place that was outside of Australia. And obviously, I didn't think I knew it all when I arrived here. Um, my guys set up a, a, a group of people, a kitchen cabinet for me to help, uh, to help me in my falling into place of understanding Australia. But not just somebody coming from another place. Every time you begin a leadership role, I think you've got to uh, know where to ask the questions as well as what to ask. And I found myself doing that. And I think that asking the right questions is critical to strengthening not only your own perception, but building of a central team. 
Well, Keith, we are running short of time. Let me ask you, before I tell listeners how they can get a hold of your new book, uh, but retirement is almost upon you. You're seeing at the end of this year, and it's going to be early into the new year. I think it's February. You'll be officially uh, handing over the baton. Um, I do want to ask you what you're going to do when you retire, but let me just ask you this, the the, uh, the uh, succession question here. Uh, Stu Cameron is going to be your successor, and uh, any thoughts on, on the man who's going to be trying to fill some big shoes that you're leaving behind? Yes, I have every confidence that, that Stu will fill them well. Um, uh, Stu uh, has had a great ministry at the New Life Church on the Gold Coast. Um, he had a senior responsible job in the South Australian United Church. I think he brings all kinds of skills. And as always the case, you know, he will do things that I never did. And uh, I think that's fine. And I think that's great. He'll be able to handle things. He'll be able to do things. So I'm enormously, enormously confident of his leadership. And what are you going to do uh, when you've handed over the mantle of leadership and you uh, are going to slip away uh, last time leaving the office? Uh, are you heading to the beach? You're going to be putting your feet up. Uh, you know, I can imagine you sipping on a cocktail somewhere on a tropical beach. Uh, what are your thoughts for retirement? Well, let me just say, whatever thoughts I got for retirement has certainly been scuppered a little bit by the current situation. We had planned on traveling the world and visiting places, visiting family in the UK and Ireland. But all of that at the moment looks a little bit dubious as to whether we'll be able to do that as quickly as, as we could. But then when I say that, I say, well, we've got the time to do it. We will. Um, I've had a number of offers to do things, um, but I've been very reluctant to say, yes, I'll do this, I'll do that. I don't want to start the day I finish starting doing another job, and I certainly don't want to do another job of the kind that I've done here. Preaching will always be uh, a privilege, you know, wherever I can preach the gospel, I shall respond to that because I think that's very much part and parcel of my life. The only thing I've locked down uh, is I have agreed with UCB, which I think was one of you. Yeah, that, that's what you, where you came from originally, I think, in, in your radio station. Well, it, it's the the process a little bit different. Actually, UCB started in New Zealand, and oh, there you uh, and, go. Yeah, and then uh, was birthed in the UK out of that. And of course, uh, we have our Australian context here, and so many listeners will remember we used to call ourselves UCB, and that title got updated to Vision Christian Media, but but. You've got a connection with UCB in the UK. Yes, I've done things for them for a number of years, and I have agreed to do a weekly um, Christian ministry talk uh, on UCB that's recorded in Stoke, their headquarters there. Um, and I'm looking forward to that. So I'm committed to doing that. That's a ministry thing that I've said I'm going to do. There are a couple of other mentoring uh, opportunities and consultation possibilities, but I'm not rushing into them. I don't want to sign up, as it were, to something without having really felt this is the right thing that God wants me to do. And, and, and I can bring my own skills to bear upon it. Well, I want to encourage listeners to keep your eye out for a really practical leadership book. It's the Reverend Keith Garner's book. He's just released it. The latest book, Passing on Wisdom from a 40-Year Ministry Career, entitled Faith, Compassion and the Challenge of Leadership. And 
uh, you'll be able to find that, no doubt, in all the good Christian bookstores. And no doubt, you'll be able to get it from the website of Wesley Mission. Now, Wesley Mission website, and I mentioned there are 130 centres around Australia. There might even be one near you. And no doubt, Keith, and we haven't got a lot of time here, but no doubt you'd be looking for some more volunteers, uh, people to be getting involved, people who are ready to roll up their sleeves and be supportive in some of the wonderful activities that you can be involved in through Wesley Mission. But the Wesley Mission website is wesleymission.org.au wesleymission.org.au and Keith if we don't get a chance to talk before you actually do hand over the mantle of leadership a special honour to you uh, thank you for all of your years served and uh, I no doubt listeners all around Australia will be saying uh, I can agree with a prayer that might ask for God's richest blessing to be with you and on you in your retirement years. So thanks so much for all your great service and thanks so much for sharing your heart with us today on 2020. And thanks for the privilege of talking to you and I'm just so thrilled at the, the quality of your programs. God bless you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.